0: The reality is we make space for God when we remove the clutter, when we say, God, this old way of life, I'm not, I'm not gonna let it control me anymore. I'm not gonna let it be what reigns and rules in my heart. I'm gonna actually believe that you have dealt with it. Uh, I'm gonna do the hard work of seeking healing. I'm gonna do the hard work of forgiving the people that need to be forgiven. I'm gonna do the hard work of, uh, of actually like coming to a place of, of getting to some of the roots in my own life because i want to make space and as long as sin is is, as long as we keep resurrecting our sin nature that that's just going to take up space it's going to clutter some of those things like fear striving sin control keep us from making space for god welcome to the resurgence messages podcast we gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people reviving churches and releasing leaders our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of Resurgence and how you can take part, check out And Yeah, I'm excited for what God's going to do tonight. God's laid a word on my heart about making space. A word about making space for God and making space for others, because it's really important that we actually take time to welcome God in. And one of the things I love about resurgence is that we always have extended worship, because we believe that in that time, when we make space, extended time for God, he meets us. And and oftentimes, the resurgence, I find we get to the sermon, but I've already gotten so much from the night because the extended worship, I'm like, oh man, there's even more to come. But uh, I think it's really cool that we have this opportunity every month when we gather. Uh, but one of the passages that's been really kind of messing with me recently, is in John chapter five. And uh, Jesus says this incredible thing, and he says it there, and he also says it a few other times. But one of the things that kind of marked Jesus' ministry was this, I only do what I see my father doing. I only do what I see my father doing. And he said this after this incredible story. So I'll just read it to you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And so I want to set the context for this passage. So Jesus and his disciples show up at this this pool, this Sheep Gate, called Bethsaida. And um, this actually wasn't really a place that Jews would hang out very often. Because the more research that I did on this passage, the more I found that this was actually a pagan place. So this is where it was actually a lot of superstition around this place. And so for a Jew, especially a Jew who was a teacher like Jesus to go to a place like this, that's a no-no. <laughs> that, you just don't see religious people at this place. But this is where a lot of sick people hung out because there was this belief, this superstition, that the, the waters of this pool would get stirred, as, as we'll see. And they would get healed if they go in. Let's look. Verse five, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, we have, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and He walked incredible. And so Jesus shows up at this place where not a lot of religious people would go. There's all these sick people there. He finds this one man. For 38 years, this man has been sick. And he's been going to this pool, hoping that somebody would have mercy on him to carry in, right? He's been, he's been looking for something, looking for hope, looking for healing. And he's gone to this place that is, is the, probably the wrong place, but that's where Jesus met him, right? And, and this story just gets crazier from here. So Uh, you would think that there would be this like celebration. Oh, Jesus healed this sick guy. He'd been sick for 38 years and Jesus healed him. But that's not what happened. (laughs) There was actually like anger about this. We pick up the story in John 5, 16. So because Jesus did these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only when he was breaking Sabbath, but because is calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And so this guy gets healed. The, the religious leaders are mad about it. And what's Jesus' response? (laughs) I did it because that's what my father was doing. And I can only do what I see my father doing, which only made them more mad, right? Because that's how religious people act. Um, But the amazing thing about this story that we see is that Jesus' ministry, his priorities, his decision-making, his way of life, everything Jesus did flowed out of his relationship with his father. Everything Jesus did flowed out of the relationship he had with God. He could do nothing of his own accord. And this type of relationship, this type of understanding of God, I think we are also invited into. It's a relationship of dependency. It's a relationship of knowledge. It's a relationship of trust. It's a relationship of um, uh, of that like mutuality where we pray, but we also hear His voice. Because um, what we see in this story, you can go to the next slide, is that Jesus healed on the Sabbath in a pagan place, right? He subverted the religious expectations of others. Why? Because that's what his father was doing. Another thing that's crazy about the story is Jesus only healed one person. That whole place was filled with sick people. But Jesus only healed one person. Why? That's what his father was doing. What's crazy about that is I think as followers of Jesus, we can often think like the whole burden of everyone in our life is on our own shoulders. Jesus didn't act like that. Jesus was so in tune with God that he could show up at this place that's filled with sick people and say, God, who, are you? who do you want to heal today? Who's the person that you want me to go and minister to? And rather than get overwhelmed with all of the need that, that was happening right in front of him, Jesus was obedient to his father. I think that's amazing. Another thing we see is that Jesus showed mercy and compassion on the man, but Jesus also told him to go and sin no more. Why? Because that's what his father was doing. So not only did Jesus offer this man healing, he invited him into a new way of life. You can go to the next slide. (laughs) I love this slide. Because the type of relationship that Jesus had with the Father expressed itself in this story. But this type of lifestyle didn't just happen on a whim. This type of lifestyle happened because Jesus often went alone to be with his Father to pray. Any parents in the room? Can you relate to this, parents? <laughs> I love this meme. My wife sent me this meme. And I was like, this is amazing. This is so true. Um, so you see the real reason Jesus needed to be alone to pray. And uh, I think it's pretty funny. But the reality is throughout the whole scripture, as much as this is funny, throughout the entire gospels, what we see is that Jesus would be alone with his father. He would spend time with God. He made space for his relationship with God. And I think out of that revelation that came through that, that de- devotion, through that dedication, that's what enabled him to go into a place like the Pool of Bethsaida and say, God, what are you doing here? And he could walk in perfect communion with him. And that's the type of life that I want to invite us into today. You can go to the next slide. The only way we can do what the Father is doing, the only way is if we make space for God. If we make space for God in our own life, What do I mean by making space for God? Um, Some of you may already know this, but I'm excited to tell you all, my wife is pregnant. And we, I thank you. We are expecting our third child, which is very exciting. We already have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, so things are just going to get even more crazy. For those of you who know my children, pray for us. So today, actually, we did a bunch of work to start preparing the baby room. Uh, so my wife's office is going to become the, the baby room. And it's, it's not only been my wife's office, it's kind of been that place where everything that doesn't have a place has been. Does anyone have a room like that in their house? So it's like, oh, where is this going to go? Oh, I'll just put it in there. You know? And over time, this room, we've only been in our house for five years, but this, it's accumulated a lot of stuff in this room. And so that's going to be the baby room when the baby comes. So what do you think? Do you think we're just going to add the crib into that room, put the new dresser in the room, right? Just kind of add to the clutter. No, we're going to have to make space, right? We're going to have to declutter that room. We're going to have to get all the junk out. We're going to have to get all the stuff that needs to go into storage out. We're going to have to organize. We're going to have to give things away. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, we're going to have to make space in that room, right? We're not just going to add the baby stuff in there. And the reality is that uh, similar to the junk room in our upstairs right now, we, all, we have a lot of clutter in our lives, And we need to make space for God. So we need to say, what are the things that are cluttering our minds? What are the things that are cluttering our hearts so that we don't actually have space for what God wants to do inside of us? Um, I I, I preached a similar sermon to this a few years ago. And uh, at that time, when I Googled it, there was like the average screen time for somebody was like four four hours a day. But how many of you want to guess what the new average screen time is as of like three days ago when I Googled it? It was between seven and eight hours a day of screen time. That's clutter. <laughs> um, people spend an average of three hours per day on television. Three hours a day. I was, uh, yeah, anyways, I won't. Um, we have podcasts, we have audiobooks, we have Apple Music, Spotify, we have, um, we have social media, we have news. There's so much clutter in our hearts, so much clutter in our lives. How do we actually make space for God? Um, I saw a funny meme the other uh, the other day as well, where it said, "I saw a man sitting at a coffee shop. He was just drinking his coffee. He didn't have his phone out or a computer or a tablet. He just had his coffee, like a psychopath." <laughs> I thought it was really funny, but also kind of telling that, like, we we think about like decluttering or we think about like having space or solitude as something that is almost bad. It's countercultural, but the reality is if we aren't making space for God, if we are letting so much clutter and and so much build up in our minds and in our hearts, we're putting ourselves at risk because there's dangers that are associated with lack of space and margin. The first is there's burnout. There's relational deprivation, addiction, anxiety, despair, depression, fear. All of these things can come through simply just letting too much consume our hearts and our minds. Another danger associated with lack of margin is that we were not created to consume as much as we consume. We were not created as human beings to know about all the problems across the world (laughs) all at once. But because of this, we can find out a problem everywhere that that is in lots of ways disconnected from from us, but it can become our problem because we know about it. God didn't create us for that. He didn't create us to bear the, the weight of the entire world, but we literally do every time we open a social media app and go like this. It clutters our hearts and our minds. Um, distraction and clutter could also become an escape, right? We When God invites us to run to him with our burdens and fears, I love that Jeremy gave us that invitation today, that invitation to hope and finding our hope in him. How, how easy can it be when we're living in that clutter to, to, to let that become an escape. So we're not facing what's going on in our hearts. We're actually just kind of pushing it to the side and consuming something. So we don't have to think about it for the next hour or six. And so today I want, resurgence is so much about revival, so much about living a lifestyle of revival. We want what happens when we gather to impact how we live when we go. And so my big idea today is super simple. It's that a lifestyle of revival comes when we make space for God. And when we make space for others, we have to. And it's not just the physical making space, like clearing out time in our calendars and moving things around. It's actually making space in our hearts. So the first thing we need to do is make space for God to reveal himself to us. I love this passage in Colossians. I actually preached on it last time I spoke at a resurgence, but I just, there's been so much like weight on it in this last season for me. Um, so Colossians 1, verse 9 to 11 is a prayer that Paul is praying For the church. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We ask that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So what I love about this passage is if you understand the church in, in Colossae or that church, they were a very passionate church. They really desired to know God. They were a really amazing church. There wasn't a lot of, it's not like the book of Colossians. Paul's calling out this very specific issue that the church was going through. There's none of that in that book. The one thing that was happening in Colossians though was there, there was a lot of false teachers and they were trying to, to tell people like, this is, this is true about God, even though it's not, or, or things like that, right? And so the one kind of issue that Paul has to address when he writes the letter of Colossians is false teaching. And so what's the first thing that he prays for? He prays that the church would know the knowledge of God's will. And, and basically, knowing that, having a knowledge of God's will is simply knowing what God desires and what God wants, and, and that word knowledge is actually a really cool word because there's two different Greek words for knowledge in the New Testament. The first one is gnosis. And gnosis, it's G-N-O-S-I-S if, any, if anyone wants to know. But it's that idea of like a head knowledge or like an understanding of something. It's, it's kind of like knowing the right or the correct thing. That's gnosis. The second type of knowledge is Epignosis. And epignosis is like an experiential knowledge. It's a knowledge that it, it's not, it, you, you could almost say it's like a heart knowledge, <laughs> right? And so there's ep- gnosis, which is kind of, yeah, I know the right thing in my head, but then there's epignosis where it's like, I know this in my heart. I know this in my bones, <laughs> you know? Um, I say, I, I often like to say there's a big difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody, <laughs> right? You know, I, uh, <clears throat> I have a very embarrassing story. I'm not supposed to talk about the Oilers, Chris said, but... This is the old Oilers. It's like Ethan Morrow. Like, it was a long time ago. And so I, I'm a big Oilers fan, I begrudgingly. And, um, and and when I was younger, I was too. And, and I was, I'm the type of person, like, I want to know all the stats. I want to know everything about them, like, as much as I can, right? And, and I can, like, know all about a member of the, of the Oilers. So one night we were out at a restaurant, and a whole group of Oilers came into the restaurant. And I was freaking out. You just asked my wife. She's like it was embarrassing how you were acting and so I just thought I was like I thought because I knew them so well I had the like I could just go and talk to them and so I literally just went and stood in the circle and I was like hey and they all kind of looked at me funny hey like and it was the most awkward thing probably that I've ever done but I was like pumped you know I'm, I'm a bit of like shameless and so I knew a lot about those guys, but I didn't know them. See the difference? (laughs) You know, see the difference? And so in the same way, we can know a lot about God, but do we really know God? We need to make space for God to reveal himself to us. Andrew Murray says this, it's on the slide. Why is it that people do not know God? Because they take anything other than God, ministers, preaching, books, prayer, work, effort, any exertion of human nature, instead of waiting and waiting for God to reveal himself. In our Christian life, in our daily prayers, in our Christian living, in our churches, in our prayer meetings, in our fellowship, it must come to the point where God always has first place. If that is given him, he will take possession. So good. Because what happens when we know God? You can go back to the slide with the text. Um, I love this. So Paul says, We continually ask that you be filled with the knowledge of God. Uh, With all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, what's next? So that. And so out of knowing God in our hearts, out of that experiential knowledge of knowing who God is, what happens? We may live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Who wants that life? (laughs) I want that life, right? We can't just strive for that. We can't just produce that type of life on our own. That type of life comes from knowledge of God. It comes from understanding who God is that God is who he says he is because the knowledge of God's will is what enables fruitfulness and what enables power in our life. This type of lifestyle will grow in us as we know God more, as we know him deeper and in deeper ways. And so with all this amazing stuff, why why can it be hard to make space to know God? What are some of the blockages or some of the things that could hinder us? Um I think for some of us we may not believe that God wants to reveal himself to us. Some of us today might think that that we kind of like God is this this distant kind of far off God who is just it's almost like a mystery like I need to like seek him out. He doesn't want to reveal himself to me. I have to find him or something. Um others of us may lack expectation that God would want to do this in us. Um Others of us just, I think we become apathetic or stuck in our habits. Um, but another thing I feel like is a blockage for some of us is we've closed ourselves off to the knowledge of God because of sin or because of offense, because of bitterness towards God, towards somebody who's kind of represented God to us. I think another thing, another reason why we may hinder the knowledge of God in our own lives, is that our minds get cluttered. (laughs) Back to that cluttered room. What are some of the things that clutter our mind? Unforgiveness, fear, anger, bitterness. But here's the thing, we don't have to live this way. We don't have to live this way. Whatever blockage you might have, whatever thing you might be holding in your heart or carrying in your heart that may be making it hard for you to receive the knowledge of God, I want to say you don't have to live that way. Just give it up to Jesus and say, God, you know, I've been living with this belief that you don't want to reveal yourself to me, but I'm going to lay that down today and say, God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me, God. You can go a couple slides forward. Yes. John Tyson says, it's amazing what an authentic encounter with Jesus can do to reorder the priorities of our life. Paul said that his pedigree and all his accomplishments were rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today, whatever blockages you've had, whatever things that that might have been hindering you and wanting to grow in the knowledge of God, just give those up to him. Give those up to him. And uh, from each of my points today, I just want to give it just a simple practice, just a simple way of life that we can kind of live out. And for this one, for knowing God, the practice is simple. It's just relational prayer. It's prayer that's rooted in relationship with God. It's prayer that isn't just me talking to God. It's sp- it's making space for God to speak to me. It's prayer that is uh, rooted in relationship. <laughs> you know, it's like how I would talk to my wife. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's not just every once in a while. Um, it's continual, but it's also focused, right? It's a prayer that where we actually make space in our schedules to spend time with him, where we also have, you know, pray all the time on our hearts. Um, it's also prayer with an expectation that he will speak to us. And I could do a whole sermon on, on hearing God's voice. I think it's super important. And, and one day, I'm sure to a extent I will. But um, the reality of hearing God's voice is I believe that, um, that God's voice— should be the most clear and the most um, precise voice that we hear. And, and I like to think about it like with when I had Ava, my, our daughter, um, our firstborn. When she was in the womb, we would like pray for her. We would bless her. You know, it was a little weird, but I'm like talking to my wife's stomach, but I'm like talking to Ava, right? But the amazing thing is after Ava was born, she knew my voice. She could hear me in a room of people, and she knew. Even from when she was a young infant, she recognized my voice. I think in the same way, God's created us to recognize his voice. His voice should be the most recognizable voice to us as his followers. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. And I love that he uses that illustration of us as sheep um, for lots of reasons. But specifically for this one, There's an amazing thing about sheep is that they, they know their shepherd's voice. And uh, I was reading a book on the, it was actually on the 23rd Psalm, but it, it actually tied in the 23rd Psalm to shepherding, but it talks about how um, back in those times there would be like a watering hole or like a lake or something. And all of the shepherds would bring all of the sheep to this same place, right? Total chaos. Absolute total chaos is what, what I would picture, you know, kind of like, My uh, four-year-old's birthday party next week is going to be total chaos. And so you picture like all the shepherds hanging out, all the sheep going crazy. And um, when one shepherd leaves, all he would have to do, it says, is the shepherd would walk off and he would just call to his sheep. And just from the mass of chaos, all of those sheep would know their shepherd is leaving because they knew his voice. They wouldn't go if the other shepherd was leaving. They only would go if their shepherd was leaving because they knew his voice how do we grow in knowing God's voice? Know his word. <laughs> you know, one of the quotes that I've heard is if you, um, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, read the Bible out loud. It's not a bad quote. Um, know his word, let it root deeply in your heart. And the other thing is, um, I think there's uh, something about learning to trust that we can hear his voice. Cause I think we often get so caught up in, is that God? Is that me? Is that not? Is that the devil? all of that. But I think one of the first things to do is just say, Lord, help me trust that when I hear you speak, it's you speaking. You know, sometimes it's like a small kind of thought that just pops into your head out of nowhere. Sometimes it's like, while you're praying, it's like an impression or a picture. Sometimes it's while you're reading the Bible, something like jumps off of the page at you. Uh, Sometimes you'll have a dream in the night. (laughs) You know, sometimes it'll be your friend who's like, hey, I was praying for you the other day and I sense this. God speaks in a lot of different ways. And so I want to encourage you to seek that out. Um, so we make space for God to reveal himself to us. Next, we make space for God to transform how we live our lives. Because uh, again, it's not just enough that we know it in our hearts and in our heads. It, that type of knowledge actually leads to a different way of life. So in the second chapter of Colossians, Paul begins by inviting us into this new way of life. Again, it's not just a set of beliefs. It's a set of action. It's a set of activity, Right? It's not to be legalistic, but it's to say that if, I, if I'm grasping this, if I'm understanding this, it's going to impact the way that I've lived my life. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So our life of obedience flows out of our knowledge of God, and it flows out of our position in Christ Jesus. I love this. As you have received Christ Jesus, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. We have a position in Christ where we find our strength, we find our hope, we find our foundation in him. It goes on in verse 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so not only is this a type of life that impacts how we live, like in in what we do, it's also a type of life that says the sin nature doesn't control me anymore. Not, Not only does the sin nature not control me anymore, the sin nature is what? dead. (laughs) Our sin nature is dead. I love what Graham Cook says about this. He says, the reality of our sin nature being dead is that every time we let our old way of life creep up again, what are we doing? We're resurrecting our sin nature because God has killed our sin nature. Galatians says that we are a new creation. Uh, Paul talks about how the the old is gone, the new is come in Corinthians, that that we are actually made completely new that we are no longer living under the, the power of sin in our own lives. We are made alive together with Christ Jesus. Our old sin nature is dead. It's buried. It's been crucified with Christ. So what does this have to do with making space for God? The reality is we make space for God when we remove the clutter, when we say, God, this old way of life, I'm not, I'm not going to let it control me anymore. I'm not going to let it be what reigns and rules in my heart. I'm going to actually believe that you have dealt with it uh, I'm going to do the hard work of seeking healing. I'm going to do the hard work of forgiving the people that need to be forgiven. I'm going to do the hard work of, uh, of actually like, coming to a place of, of getting to some of the roots in my own life. Because I want to make space. And as long as sin is—as is, long as we keep resurrecting our sin nature, that, that's just going to take up space. It's going to clutter. Some of those things like fear, striving, sin, control. Keep us from making space for God. Paul goes on in Colossians 3. This is so good. Since we have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And so when we actually let him do that work in our hearts, when we say we want to put, put the sin nature out, we want to live like the sin nature's dead, we don't want to let it control and rule in us anymore, what happens? We're transformed. We are in a new place. We are brought into this place of, um, of, of fullness, of life with Christ. Our minds and our actions are transformed as we seek the things that are above Scott McKnight has an awesome quote. You can go to the next slide. Since his people share his risen life, their interests are now centered in him. His interests, in fact, become theirs. They must therefore pursue those things which belong to the heavenly realm where he reigns. Their mind, their attitude, their ambition, their whole outlook must be characterized by their living bond with the ascended Christ. So what does this look like for us? How do we actually live like this? Where where Christ is not only revealing himself to us, he's transforming us. What does it look like for us to live in this world in light of that? What I think this, at its most basic, the most basic way to do this is simply to say, God, help me see things like you see them, you know? Um, help me to see the world. Help me to see what's going on in the world, like you see them, rather than letting the the circumstances that we see, and rather than letting the things that are going on, even the war happening right now, it's so easy to look at it with an earthly perspective, as opposed to saying, God, how do you see this? How do you see this? How can I align my vision of this with your vision of this? You know. Jesus had the wisdom and he had the relationship with God to go to a pool filled with all these sick people. And again, he, he knew the one person that God was calling him to go to. We must see through the Bible. <laughs> we must see through um, what God has said, the circumstances that we face. And, and I believe that's how we set our mind on things above. Rather than letting these things impact how we view him, it's the other way around. We let him impact how we view these things. And for some of us, that might even mean we need to take a break from seeing all these things at an earthly level. (laughs) It might mean we need to turn off our social media for a few weeks or a month or longer. um, So we're not. No, you know, my wife is really good at this, and she'll often say, what's going on in the world? Like, I don't have a clue what's going on. And I'll say, well, the Oilers are losing. (laughs) And then she'll laugh, and that's all. But um, the reality is, is, yeah, I think if we continually let ourselves be formed by our, our news feeds, you know, that starts to shape how we view God. But setting our mind on things above is actually letting Him shape how we view those things. And so first off, we ask for God to reveal himself to us. We do that through relational prayer. Second, we make space for God to transform how we live. And then finally, we make space for one another. We make space for one another. We make space for community in our lives. There's this amazing story. I was part of a group at my church a few years ago. And this small group is pretty amazing because it has every person in the group share their testimonies. And there's one individual in this group. He's given his permission for me to share this story. Um, he, he talked, he shared his whole testimony and, um, it was pretty rough. He had gone through a lot of things, you know, and at the very end of his testimony, he says, you know, I struggle with, uh, I'm an alcoholic, he said. And then he said, and I struggle with anger. I'm really angry all the time. And that was it. You know, when we hear testimonies, you're often like waiting for the the good part, you know, you're like, well, what now, you know, but he didn't have that. He didn't have that. He just got to that. This is where I'm at today. And um, an amazing thing happened as a group. One of the the cool parts about this small group was that we actually, when after somebody would share their testimony, we would give them, we would like speak into their life. And so they share their testimony. And then around the room, we, we went and we encouraged him. We prayed for him. And I kid you not, the next week, Uh, Kirsten and I had like, we literally drove home and we were like jaw drop. We're like, he looked like a different person. His demeanor had changed. His countenance had changed. There was color in his face again, like all these things. And it continued on. It continued on every week we'd see him. And, and a few months later he said, you know what? I haven't had a drink since I shared my testimony that night. And and the amazing thing is, I reached out to him about a year afterwards because I was like, what happened? Like, what happened that night? And he said this to me. He said, I can tell you that sharing my story in a safe place to people who love me with Christ-like love removed my chains of bondage. I no longer felt shame to tell my story to others. And as I felt the group's love, I felt that Christ loved me just as I am. And that's where my healing began broken chains, and redemption. Now what's crazy about this guy's story is he had been coming to church for decades. Decades. He never shared with anyone the struggles that he had. And I remember one of the other things that he said a few weeks after he shared with us, he said, the night I shared my testimony is the night I felt like I was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's power when we make space for others in our life. There's a power in sharing vulnerably. There's a power in in allowing others to speak into our experience and into our lives. But what are some of the barriers to community? What are some of the barriers to opening ourselves up? I think one of them is idealism. (laughs) I think we kind of can get this idea of what a community should look like. And because ours doesn't quite look like that, maybe we can't really be as involved um, sadly, I think this happens a lot with things like being on staff at a camp or doing a DTS. Like you can have this amazing experience at a place, but then you go back to your church, and you are like, well, my community here just isn't like it was there. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's really, one of his most famous quotes is he says, the idealism about community is what destroys community. Love the people in front of you. That's how you create community, Right. And so we need to put away idealism. We need to put away like, oh, this isn't the type, type of community that I'm looking for. And we need to say, how can I love the people in front of me? How can I let them love me? Uh, which brings me to my next barrier to community, and that's hurt. I think hurt can be a huge barrier to community. When we've experienced um, somebody either breaking trust or abuse, anything that causes us hurt, we can shut ourselves and our hearts down and not let others in. That was part of the reason why my friend didn't share his testimony for so long, is because he had so much hurt. And he had this fear that if he shared as he, as vulnerably as he would, that we wouldn't love him. It was hurt. Um, And if that's you today, I I just want to encourage you that God wants to heal you and that he can. You don't have to carry that. It, It might take some really hard things like forgiveness, it might take some really hard things like. Like um, slowly rebuilding trust with somebody that you can. But I want to encourage you, God can heal you from your hurt. Another barrier to community is comparison. (laughs) Another one is fear. And another one that I think a lot of us struggle with is busyness. We need to make space for community. Colossians 3, 12 to 15 says, Therefore, as God's holy and chosen people, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bear with one another and forgive one another if any of, if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and therefore and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity let the peace of christ rule in your hearts since as one as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful i love that invitation i don't think i need to expand on it too much because it's pretty self-explanatory but but what i noticed as i was looking at it specifically for tonight is that our ability to live life in community together flows out of our identity as God's children. When we understand that, that I'm his child, that I'm his son, and you're his daughter or his son, that makes us brother and sister, <laughs> right? It makes us family. The way that we relate to each other and make room for each other flows out of that understanding. When we know that, that God loves us as his children, we can love one another. Um. <clears throat> you go to the next slide. Um, a friend of mine wrote this in his book. His name is Steve. He says, You were called into the community of faith. The call was not meant for you alone. You carry your cross, you struggle, you pray in the community of faith, the community of those who are called. We cannot fully experience the life God desires for us on our own. We've been created for relationship, and we desperately need to be a part of community. Living in isolation is a common struggle for Christian leaders. It's ironic that leaders who are often in the midst of people are not personally engaged in deep relationship or community. Can anyone relate to that? Um, I had an incredible gift given to me over this last year and a half. I've been a part of a leadership training program called Arrow Leadership, and it's just been amazing. And uh, one of the biggest parts of this gift for me is it's been a cluster. There's been like five of us from uh, <clears throat> yeah, we're all from Western Alberta. Arrow is for all, across all of Canada, but wisely, they kind of put all of us Westerners together. Um, and, and it's just been amazing because I think in ministry, it can be really hard to build deep and meaningful relationships. And I'm just going to be vulnerable to that it can be really hard. And um, the amazing thing is this group that I was able to find through Arrow, similar to my friend's story when he shared his testimony, I was just able to find such deep healing because I realized that I don't need to posture. I don't need to like try to to earn these people's affection or love by what I could do for them. (laughs) They loved me as I was, and there was power in that. There's power in community. There's power in being known. There's power in being able to fully be yourself. Who are those people in your life? You can go to the next slide. One of my favorite illustrations about community is actually... uh, out of the California redwoods. <laughs> Don't worry, it makes a lot of sense. How many any of you ever been and seen the California redwoods? They're incredible. If you haven't, I highly encourage you to. My wife and I actually for our honeymoon, it was kind of crazy. We were pretty young, but we drove to San Francisco and then we drove up the California coast. It was amazing. And then Oregon coast and we stayed at uh, in Cannon Beach, which is where I proposed to her. So it's kind of like a cool a cool thing. But like, it was just so incredible, the time we spent in the California Redwood, Redwoods. Like, I've never seen trees that big before. Like, there's one tree, you can actually drive your car underneath it. Like, it's so big that it just, like, goes over the road. And they've created a tunnel in the tree to go underneath it. What's that? You have to pay for it now? You didn't That's when I did it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, crazy. But yeah, so these trees are massive. But here's what's crazy about these trees. These trees exist in very, very rocky terrain, right? And so they don't have deep roots. California redwoods do not actually have deep roots. You can go to the next slide. This is the California Parks Department. So this isn't even like a commentary I got this quote from. But they said this, the redwoods have shallow root systems that extend over 100 feet from the base, intertwining with the roots of other redwoods. This increases their stability during wind and flood. How crazy is that? You know, I think the, the illustration kind of falls apart because we should have deep and wide roots, not just wide. But the reality is the trees that like, if any of you have been in a storm on the coast, those storms are crazy. Like the wind is so strong and there's lots of, of pressure, right? But, but how do they stay up? They stay up by their roots intertwining together. And I think that's such an amazing picture of what Christian community should look like. We've got deep roots that go deep in our relationship with God, and we've got wide roots where we're actually supporting one another, holding one another. Our roots are intertwining so that when the winds and the storms come, we're actually responsible for the other person being held up. That's true community. And we need to make space for that type of community. We, we can't just have that happen by accident. That is the type of relationship that happens through intention. This requires practice. This requires um, being vulnerable. This requires um, seeking it out. It requires making space, making room for these type of friends. Um, I know I'd said I didn't have a lot of friends or realize at at the old church that I had, but I have had one friend and uh, he's a a pastor here in the city and him and I, we've gone for a prayer walk every week for the last almost five years. Every week. And... um, And at first it was kind of like a bit of a, how do I make room for this? Like, this is a lot, you know, like, it's like usually about 20 minute, 25 minute drive each way. We go for an hour and a half walk. Like that's a lot each week. Right. But it's amazing. Uh, We just went on a walk like on Monday and we were just talking about kind of what God's been doing in our life since we started. And it's just crazy to think like he knows everything about me. Like, um, like my wife would know more, but she's the only one. And that's really intentional because he knows about the struggles that I have. He knows about my insecurities. He knows about my fears. He knows about all of these things. And he'll ask me about them. How's that going? What What's going on? Uh, who's that person in your life? Who's that person that's asking you the hard questions, that's making space for you to share vulnerably so that you can walk in fullness and freedom? Who's that person who's letting the roots intertwine So that when the winds come, you're holding each other up. It's not just you holding yourself up. We need to make space in our life for deep friendship. Deep friendship. So my big idea today, band, you guys can come back up, is that we need to make space to do what only the Father is doing. Making space for only what I see the Father doing because I think we can get so distracted. We can get so caught off um, by everything going on in our life. We can have that room of our, our hearts be so cluttered. We need to make space for God. We need to make space for others. And um, yeah, again, one of the ways that I've encouraged that today is through re- through relational prayer. It's through seeing our circumstances through what God says rather than seeing God through our circumstances and through deep friendship. Those are just three of the things that, that I think we can kind of take from here. But right now, I think God wants to encounter some of our hearts. I think he wants to do what only he can do tonight. And so I just want to encourage you just as the band starts playing, what, what are those things that are cluttering your hearts right now? what are those things that are cluttering your hearts right now? Let's just take like 30 seconds to a minute. Just You guys can start. Um, and let's just ask Holy Spirit, what are some of those things that are cluttering right now that I need to make space? And it might, it might just be, um, it might not even just be with God. It might be I need to make space for others too. What are those things that are cluttering my heart? What are the, the things that I've let build up? As to encourage you now just to take whatever he's highlighted to you and just offer that to him and say, God, Jesus, remove these things. Take these things now. Maybe it's hurt, bitterness, unforgiveness, unmet expectations, fear. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's holding on to the past. Whatever it might be, offer that to him now. Jesus, take this. I want to make room for you, God. Because the amazing thing is that God doesn't just take our room. He doesn't just come in and he, he does come in and transform us and all that. But he also expands it. <laughs> he comes in and he takes residence in us and he grows our capacity. He grows our understanding. He grows our, our um, even our limits. He moves them. And so Jesus, I, I, I just pray right now that which we've offered to you, God. We don't just want to leave an empty space. Would you come and would you fill that space, God? Would you come and would you fill that space, God? And for those of us who, um, who felt like we need to make space for others more intentionally, just I pray that you would give us a um, just a real sense right now of who those people are, who that person is that I'm gonna go deeper with, that I'm gonna seek to be intentional with. It might be a small group where you just know you need to share that, you need to go deep, you need to like my friend did share it all and just say I need help or maybe there's a, f- a friendship that you need to pursue maybe it's even with your spouse God would you just if, if our desire tonight or what we need is to make space for others just show us who that other is <laughs> Just, um, yeah, I just really feel like God wants to, the other thing he wants to do is give us a deeper understanding of the knowledge of God, to reveal himself to us in a deeper way. And so if that's you tonight, if you want to know God in a deeper way, I just want to encourage you to come to the front. Just come to the front. We're going to sing that song, Make Room. And, and I just want, I feel like There's nothing magic about coming to the front, but that step of faith, that declaration to say, God, I want to make room in my life so that you can reform me so that you can come and invade me. There's going to be space here for you to come and just spend some time with him. And so when the band starts singing, I just encourage you to come forward. And just if it's kneeling or standing, however you want to respond to God, just he wants to pour out a deeper revelation of himself. Actually, if if that's you, just come forward now because I want to pray for you. If that's you, if you want a deeper knowledge, understanding the knowledge of God, just come forward. Yes, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I just want to pray that prayer out of Colossians. you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to God the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. And like, God, what an an amazing prayer that each one of these people have said they wanna pray tonight, God, that you would reveal yourself to them. So I just pray that right now, God, that you would reveal yourself to their hearts, Lord God. I feel like some tonight need to know you as Father. Some tonight need to know you as Father. And so I pray that you would reveal your Father heart to them. Some tonight need to know you as provider. so I pray that you would reveal yourself as provider tonight God I feel like some here need to know you as friend and so may you reveal yourself as you are to each one tonight God even as they sing this song I just pray for an expansion of their ability to comprehend who you are ability to comprehend your love ability to comprehend your heart ability to comprehend uh, your, your power and your goodness God so Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, the prayer that you love answering because you prayed it over and over again, God. Pour out the knowledge of your will. Lord God, reveal yourself to each one of us tonight. And even as we sing this song, I, just, I pray, Lord, that this would be the true cry of our hearts, God, to do whatever you want to. We make room for you to do whatever you want to. God, I just don't want to make space in my heart so that I can put new things in. <laughs> I want to make space in my heart so that you can come in and you can do whatever you want to, God. So that's our prayer. That's our cry tonight, Jesus. We love you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope that you were blessed. For more information about Resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www.Liveresurgence.com.